0: Section 43 of Religious Studies, Sketches, and Poems This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Karen Clausen Brown Religious Studies, Sketches, and Poems by Harriet Beecher Stowe The Sabbath, Sketches from the Notebook of an Elderly Gentleman the Puritan Sabbath. Is there such a thing existing now, or is it gone with the things that were, to be looked on as a curiosity in the museum of the past? Can anyone, in memory, take himself back to the unbroken stillness of that day, and recall the sense of religious awe which seemed to brood in the very atmosphere, checking the merry laugh of children, enchaining in unwanted stillness the tongue of volatile youth, and imparting, even to the sunshine of heaven and the unconscious notes of animals, a tone of its own gravity and repose. If you cannot remember these things, go back with me to the verge of early boyhood, and live with me one of the Sabbaths that I have spent beneath the roof of my uncle, Phineas Fletcher. Imagine the long sunny hours of a Saturday afternoon insensibly slipping away, as we youngsters are exploring the length and breadth of a trout stream, or chasing gray squirrels, or building mud mill dams in the brook. The sun sinks lower and lower, but we still think it does not want half an hour to sundown. At last, he so evidently is really going down, that there is no room for skepticism or latitude of opinion on the subject, and with many a lingering regret, we began to put away our fish hooks and hang our hoops over our arm, preparatory to trudging homeward. "'Oh, Henry, don't you wish that Saturday afternoons lasted longer?' said Little John to me. "'I do,' says Cousin Bill, who was never the boy to mince matters in giving his sentiments, "'and I wouldn't care if Sunday didn't come but once a year.' "'Oh, Bill, that's wicked, I'm afraid,' says Little Conscientious Susan who, with her doll in hand, was coming home from a Saturday afternoon visit. "'Can't help it,' says Bill, catching Susan's bag and tossing it in the air. "'I never did like to sit still, and that's why I hate Sundays.' "'Hate Sundays? Oh, Bill! Why, Aunt Kesie says heaven is an eternal Sabbath! Only think of that!' "'Well, I know I must be pretty different from what I am now before I could sit still forever,' said Bill, in a lower and somewhat disconcerted tone. "'as if admitting the force of the consideration. "'The rest of us began to look very grave "'and to think that we must get to liking Sunday some time or other "'or it would be a very bad thing for us. "'As we drew near the dwelling, "'the compact and business-like form of Aunt Kezi "'was seen emerging from the house to hasten our approach. "'How often have I told you, young ones, "'not to stay out after sundown on Saturday night? "'Don't you know it's the same as Sunday, you wicked children, you?' come right into the house, every one of you, and never let me hear of such a thing again. This was Aunt Kezi's regular exordium every Saturday night, for we children, being blinded, as she supposed by natural depravity, always made strange mistakes in reckoning time on Saturday afternoons. After being duly suppered and scrubbed, we were enjoined to go to bed and remember that tomorrow was Sunday and that we must not laugh and play in the morning with many a sorrowful look did susan deposit her doll in the chest and give one lingering glance at the patchwork she was piecing for dolly's bed while william john and myself emptied our pockets of all superfluous fish hooks bits of twine pop-guns slices of potato marbles and all the various items of boy property which to keep us from temptation were taken into aunt kezzie's safe keeping over sunday my uncle Phineas was a man of great exactness, and Sunday was the center of his whole worldly and religious system. Everything with regard to his worldly business was so arranged that by Saturday noon it seemed to come to a close of itself. All his accounts were looked over, his workmen paid, all borrowed things returned and lent things sent after, and every tool and article belonging to the farm was returned to its own place at exactly such an hour every Saturday afternoon. In an hour before sundown, every item of preparation, even to the blacking of his Sunday shoes and the brushing of his Sunday coat, was entirely concluded. And at the going down of the sun, the stillness of the Sabbath seemed to settle down over the whole dwelling. And now it is Sunday morning, and though all without is fragrance and motion and beauty the dewdrops are twinkling, butterflies fluttering, and merry birds carolling and racketing as if they never could sing loud or fast enough. Yet, without, there is such a stillness that the tick of the tall mahogany clock is audible through the whole house, and the buzz of the blue flies as they whizz along up and down the window panes is a distinct item of hearing. Look into the best front room, and you may see the upright form of my uncle Phineas in his immaculate Sunday clothes, with his Bible spread open on the little stand before him, and even a deeper-than-usual gravity settling down over his toil-worn features. Alongside, in well-brushed Sunday clothes, with clean faces and smooth hair, sat the whole of us younger people, each drawn up in a chair with hat and handkerchief, ready for the first stroke of the bell while Aunt Kezi, all trimmed and primmed and made ready for meeting, sat reading her psalm book, only looking up occasionally to give an additional jerk to some shirt-collar, or the fifteenth pull to Susan's frock, or to repress any straggling looks that might be wandering about, beholding vanity. A stranger, in glancing at Uncle Phineas as he sat intent on his Sunday reading, might have seen that the Sabbath was in his heart, there was no mistake about it. It was plain that he had put by all worldly things when he shut up his account book, and that his mind was as free from every earthly association as his Sunday coat was from dust. The slave of worldliness, who is driven by perplexing business or adventurous speculation through the hours of a half-kept Sabbath to the fatigues of another work week, might envy the unbroken quiet, the sunny tranquility which hallowed the weekly rest of my uncle. The Sabbath of the Puritan Christian was the golden day, and all its associations and all its thoughts, words, and deeds were so entirely different from the ordinary material of life that it was to him a sort of weekly translation, a quitting of this world to sojourn a day in a better. And year after year, as each Sabbath set its seal on the completed labors of a week, the pilgrim felt that one more stage of his earthly journey was completed, and that he was one week nearer to his eternal rest. And as years with their changes came on, and the strong man grew old, and missed one after another familiar forms that had risen around his earlier years, the face of the Sabbath became like that of an old and tried friend, carrying him back to the scenes of his youth, and connecting him with scenes long gone by restoring to him the dew and freshness of brighter and more buoyant days. Viewed simply as an institution for a Christian and mature mind, nothing could be more perfect than the Puritan Sabbath. If it had any failing, it was in the want of adaptation to children and to those not interested in its peculiar duties. If you had been in the dwelling of my uncle of a Sabbath morning, you must have found the unbroken stillness delightful, the calm and quiet must have soothed and disposed you for contemplation, and the evident appearance of single-hearted devotion to the duties of the day in the elder part of the family must have been a striking addition to the picture. But, then, if your eye had watched attentively the motions of us juveniles, you might have seen that what was so very invigorating to the disciplined Christian was a weariness to young flesh and bones." Then there was not, as now, the intellectual relaxation afforded by the Sunday school, with its various forms of religious exercise, its thousand modes of interesting and useful information. Our whole stock in this line was the Bible and Primer, and these were our main dependents for whiling away the tedious hours between our early breakfast and the signal for meeting. How often was our invention stretched to find wherewithal to keep up our stock of excitement in a line with the duties of the day? For the first half hour, perhaps, a story in the Bible answered our purpose very well. But, having dispatched the history of Joseph or the story of the ten plagues, we then took to the primer, and then there was, first, the looking over the system of theological and ethical teaching, commencing, In Adam's Fall We Sin It All, and extending through three or four pages of pictorial and poetic embellishment. Next was the death of John Rogers, who was burned at Smithfield, and for a while we could entertain ourselves with counting all his nine children and one at the breast, as in the picture they stand in a regular row, like a pair of stairs. These being done, came miscellaneous exercises of our own invention, such as counting all the psalms in the psalm book, backward and forward, to and from the doxology, or numbering the books in the Bible, or some other such device as we deemed within the pale of religious employments. When all these failed, and it still wanted an hour of meeting time, we looked up at the ceiling, and down at the floor, and all around into every corner to see what we could do next. And happy was he who could spy a pin gleaming in some distant crack, and forthwith muster an occasion for getting down to pick it up then there was the infallible recollection that we wanted a drink of water or an excuse to get out to the well or else we heard some strange noise among the chickens and insisted that it was essential that we should see what was the matter or else pussy would jump on to the table when all of us would spring to drive her down while there was a most assiduous watching of the clock to see when the first bell would ring happy was it for us in the interim if we did not begin to look at each other and make up faces or slyly slip off and on our shoes, or some other incipient attempts at roguery, which would gradually so undermine our gravity that there would be some explosion of merriment whereat Uncle Phineas would look up and say, "Tut tut, and Aunt Kezi would make a speech about wicked children breaking the Sabbath day. I remember once how my cousin Bill got into deep disgrace one Sunday by a roguish trick. He was just about to close his Bible with all sobriety, when snap came a grasshopper through an open window and alighted in the middle of the page. Bill instantly kidnapped the intruder, for so important an auxiliary in the way of employment was not to be despised. Presently we children looked towards Bill, and there he sat, very demurely reading his Bible, with the grasshopper hanging by one leg from the corner of his mouth, kicking and sprawling, without in the least disturbing Master Williams's gravity. We all burst into an uproarious laugh, but it came to be rather a serious affair for Bill, as his good father was in the practice of enforcing truth and duty by certain modes of moral suasion much recommended by Solomon, though fallen into disrepute at the present day. This morning picture may give a good specimen of the whole live-long Sunday, which presented only an alternation of similar scenes until sunset, when a universal unchaining of tongues and a general scamper proclaimed that the sun was down but it may be asked what was the result of all this strictness did it not disgust you with the sabbath and religion no it did not it did not because it was the result of no unkindly feeling but of consistent principle and consistency of principle is what even children learn to appreciate and revere the law of obedience and of reverence for the sabbath was constraining so equally on the young and the old that its claims came to be regarded like those immutable laws of nature, which no one thinks of being out of patience with, though they sometimes bear hard on personal convenience. The effect of the system was to ingrain into our character a veneration for the Sabbath which no friction of afterlife would ever efface. I have lived to wander in many climates and foreign lands where the Sabbath is an unknown name, or where it is only recognized by noisy mirth, but never has the day returned without bringing with it a breathing of religious awe, and even a yearning for the unbroken stillness, the placid repose, and the simple devotion of the Puritan Sabbath. End of the Sabbath. Sketches from the Notebook of an Elderly Gentleman. Recording by Karen Clausen Brown.